0: Welcome to a talk from St. Saviour's Somebody, We hope you are really blessed by hearing it. Yeah, good morning. Uh, so if you don't already know me, uh, I'm Charlie. I'm a member of the congregation here, and I'm a, a local primary school teacher. Um, Chippenham George worked for the post office, and his job was to process all the mail that had illegible addresses. Now, one day just before Christmas, a letter landed on his desk, simply addressed in shaky handwriting, to God. With no other clue on the envelope, George opened the letter and read, Dear God, I am a 93-year-old widow living on the state pension. Yesterday, someone stole my purse. It had £100 in it, which was all the money I had in the world, and no pension due until after Christmas. Next week is Christmas, and I had invited two of my friends over for Christmas luncheon. Without that money, I have nothing to buy food with. I have no family to turn to, and you are my only hope. God, can you please help me? Now Chipsham George was really touched, and being kind-hearted, he put a copy of the letter up in the staff room at the main Ferrum sortie office where he worked. The letter touched the other postman, and they all dug into their pockets and had a whip round. Between them, they raised 95 pounds. Using an officially franked post office envelope, they sent the cash on to the old lady, and for the rest of the day, all the workers felt a warm glow thinking of the nice thing they had done. Now Christmas came and went, and a few days later, another letter, simply addressed to God, landed in the sorting office. Many of the postmen gathered around while George opened the letter. It read, Dear God, how can I ever thank you enough for what you did for me? Because of your generosity, I was able to provide a lovely luncheon for my friends. We had a very nice day, and I told my friends of your wonderful gift. In fact, we haven't gotten over it, and even Father John, our parish priest, is beside himself with joy. By the way, there was five pounds missing. I think it must have been those thieving fellows at the post office. (laughs) A gift can often not be what we were expecting, and it can come in a way that we didn't anticipate, like a secret Santa gift at work. You never get what you're expecting, and yet it's always wonderful that someone has taken the time and thought to get you a gift, and they've really, you know, they've really given it some thought. But how do we respond to that gift? That's what we're going to explore today. Now, there's a lot to digest in today's reading, but I just want to give you a bit of context around what we're going to read today. Now, we can see how important Matthew considers the the family line and the origins of Jesus to be as he dedicated the first two chapters of his Gospel to this. Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophecies or the future predictions of the Old Testament. And we we can see that. That's what Matthew's primary point is in this first first bit. Now we see the royal bloodline and the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1. He came from kings. But we immediately see that Jesus is going to be different from the kings of the past. So he comes to today's reading. So please open up your Bibles, if you have them with you, to Matthew 2. Uh, we're going to read from verses 1 to 12, and words will also be on the screen. I will be reading a slightly different translation, but, you know, it's, it's all pretty much the same thing. So, Matthew 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law. Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah for a ruler will come, for you, come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way. They returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So I believe that these verses highlight that there are two responses to Jesus that we can have today. We can either respond the way Herod did, or we can respond the way the wise men did. We can either choose to accept him, or reject him? To want him? Or want nothing to do with him? Now just to give you a bit of context about whom we're talking about here, about, about Herod, uh, about 60 years before Jesus was born, the Roman general Pompey captured Jerusalem and the rest of Palestine. And the Romans installed local rulers in these areas, and eventually Herod became the ruler of the Jews. He was even called King of the Jews even though he was only half-Jewish. The historian Paul Meyer wrote, you may be surprised to hear this, but believe it or not, if you are ever asked which is the one figure from the ancient world on whom we have more primary evidence from original sources than anyone else in the world, the answer isn't Jesus or St. Paul or Caesar Augustus or Julius Caesar. None of those. Alexander the Great? No. No. It's Herod the Great, believe it or not. Why? Because Josephus gives us two whole book scrolls on the life of Herod the Great. And that is more primary material than anyone else. Now, I have to say, this did surprise me when I was, when I was reading around, um, around this passage. But then again, we have to look at the role Herod played in the very early life of Jesus. He was a key part of what is commonly known as the Christmas story. If we just look ahead, slightly past our our reading today, to verse 16 in Matthew 2, it says, Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men had outwitted him. He sent his soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under. Now we can see here clearly a king who isn't secure in who he is. A king who is so afraid of someone taking his throne away he is willing to commit infanticide to protect his position. King Herod was a broken paranoid king. A king who was constantly looking over his shoulder and terrified of anyone who may threaten his throne. Now I'm not saying any of us are are that bad, but I know that I myself, when I have something that I really care about, I will be so protective of it and afraid that someone's going to take it away. I think a job is the perfect example of this. When you have it, you will do everything you can to keep it and would be terrified of losing it. You can also think this way about a car a child, a house. Now I feel that this perfectly describes Herod. He's paranoid. He has something that he really cares about. He will do anything he can to keep it, even if that means murdering all the children in the local area. However, Herod knew exactly who Jesus was. He knew that this was the promised Messiah and his priests and teachers of the law confirmed it for him. If we each have a look at verse 4. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Now if we look back through history, this is the pattern of kings. They're afraid of someone coming in and taking away their throne. But Herod wasn't the best at hiding his true intentions. Let's have a look at verses 7 and 8. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, Go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Now when I read this, I think of the children that I teach when they pretend that they're really interested in a lesson that I know they couldn't care less about, and would, quite frankly, rather it didn't exist. Handwriting practice is that lesson. I say to them, now we're going to do some handwriting practice so we can all have beautiful presentation, because we want to be proud of our work, don't we? And they all respond, yes, Mr Brain. We love handwriting practice so much, we want to do even more. And I'm fairly sure it's getting more pained every time they say it. Now, clearly, they're incredibly unconvincing, as was Herod. He was a child in a man's body, afraid that someone was coming to take away his favorite toy. Herod isn't just a paranoid king. We can see how he represents the world around us today there is a very real hostility towards Jesus. Many people don't want to accept Jesus as their saviour and their king. We can see this in the Open Doors charity's world map, which shows all the countries where Christians are persecuted. Now, on that map are only 50 of the countries where Jesus is actively rejected, where many of the leaders and rulers are modern-day Herods. Jesus, to many of us, is a threat to our free will. And many people are afraid that he's going to take away the things that they enjoy. He is the biggest threat to our simple desires than anything else. Whenever we make a mistake or a wrong choice, and then we think about the fact that Jesus died on the cross so that we can be forgiven, it can make us feel very guilty. But that is not why Jesus died for us. It wasn't so we would feel guilty when we make mistakes. It was so we would actually want to seek him and accept him as our saviour and ask for his forgiveness and repent of those things that we're doing wrong. Turn away from those wrong choices. And go to him when we've done something we're not proud of. Our relationship with Jesus is fractured and broken. And at times is very much like the relationship Herod had with the promised Messiah. Now, Tim Keller, uh, an American preacher, he, he preaches at a church in, in New York, he, he gives an illustration that is really helpful. He says, Let's imagine a couple that was once in love, but they have become estranged, which basically means we used to be in love, but we have become strangers. And if you ever watch how that works, this is how it happens. You were in love, and what made you in love with that person was certain characteristics. But when you decide to get angry, you take all those characteristics that you loved, and you read them through your anger and turn them into flaws. You read the things you used to love, the very same traits as imperfections and weaknesses. This can often be the way we approach and view Jesus, that we can see his good intentions as a ways of spoiling our fun. We want to drink, gamble, party, swear, and gossip. And all Jesus wants to do is take all that away from us. We need to look at ourselves and consider, do I have a heart like Herod? Are you worried about Jesus seeing the worst of you? When he wants to be close to you, are you going to push him away? Are you going to do everything you can to keep hold of your sinful desires? But is there a better way? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's look at the other key players in this passage. The wise men, also known as the magi. Now, while there isn't a lot of information about them before they appear in the story, but they were likely the priestly caste of the Medes and the Persians. Daniel refers to the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and the Chaldeans summoned to tell the king his dreams. They were called the wise men because that's what they were, wise and learned. They were kind of like an ancient version of Brian Cox or... Stephen Hawking so because of their studies they would have seen the star and they would have known that they needed to follow it So, this is what they did when they left Herod let's read from verse 9 after this interview the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was when they saw the star they were filled with joy Now, in my opinion, this is the way we should be responding to Jesus. This is what should be happening in our hearts. We should be filled with joy. They hadn't even seen Jesus yet, and already they were so excited for what they were going to find. How about you? However, I do wonder what they expected to see when they went in. I mean, after all, they were expecting to see the newborn king of the Jews. They had traveled for a king. They may have been expecting robes, gold, lavish fruits, waiting girls and servants, a palace with amazing grounds, jewels adorning every aspect of the place. And yet what they found was very different. Verse 11 says, They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. So even though he may not have been the king they were expecting, they immediately recognized his kingly presence. They immediately knew that he was the king that had been promised by the prophets. He was, to quote Isaiah, Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, Prince of Peace. Now, when I was a kid, I loved pirates. And honestly, I still do. I I know it's a strange change of pace, but stick with me. Now, the New Living Translation says Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, I love a good treasure chest myself. And I, I, lo- I love to imagine what theirs would have looked like. I mean, they were taking gifts to a king, after all. So I would imagine they would have been incredibly ornate and, and brought to Jesus with great care, which, you know, you would if you were taking gifts to a king. So I imagine the gifts they brought, well, they had incredible significance. Gold was brought because he was a king, and gold is the metal of kings. Frankincense was used in the temple when people were worshipping to give thanksgiving and praise to God. And it is believed that the wise men chose this gift as it pointed to Jesus as our great high priest, as Jonathan spoke about last week. Now, myrrh is arguably the most interesting and the most prophetical of the gifts, as myrrh was used to embalm dead bodies. It's unclear about how much the wise men knew of what Jesus Jesus' ministry would be, but if they had read the Old Testament, they would be aware of his prophesied suffering. Isaiah 53.3 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Isaiah 53.7 says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as the sheep before her shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And Psalm 22, 17 to 18 says, I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. And there are many more along with those. So let me return to my first point. We have a choice to make today, every single one of us. How do we want to respond to Jesus? Do we want to see him as Herod did, as a threat to our desires, a party pooper who wants to ruin our fun and stop us from living the way we want to live? Or do we want to respond the way the wise men did, by leaving the comfort of our lives and actively seek him, face up to the hostility of the world, and despite him not being the king we might expect, see him as the king that was promised, the ultimate king, the perfect king. I think this man sums it up perfectly. So you're probably thinking, well, that's great. You know, all that you said, you know, it's great but how can I actually put this into action and actually apply it to my life? You have the chance today to approach the throne of the one true king. The good king. The perfect king. He is a king that wants to bless you with grace and mercy yet all you want to do is to keep living your way, enjoying your earthly desires, like drink, gambling, swearing, gossiping. So make the choice today to receive those free gifts from your King that just wants to love you and bless you and know you intimately. Why don't we just close our eyes and make that choice in our hearts, personally for ourselves. For more information, please go to www.stsaviorsunbury.org.uk.